Please uh, let me encourage you to uh, open up your scripture, uh, the Pew Bible in front of you, the Black Pew Bible. You can find our text, which is Revelation uh, chapter 1 on page 1028. Are there things uh, in your life right now that are shiny? Are there things that, uh, that sparkle, that have some of your affections? You don't expect that. It's good. But maybe it's good that we also take a pause, uh, even as we think about the hope of, of uh, joy and food and, and gifts, open and unopened, uh, that we pause and look today at the greatest hope, at the greatest gift, the greatest reason that we could have to gather on this first day of the week to sing and fellowship, to delight in our King. I mean, think of uh, life and think of, let me invite you to just to, to imagine in your mind a, a moment that is breathtaking, that is, uh, is stunning, it's awe-inspiring. It's, it's, it's last Sunday, Argentina winning the, the World Cup, people in Argentina, that was a breathtaking, memorable moment. Of course, if you think about not just sports moments or maybe it's, uh, it's something on HGTV, you know, that episode where someone sees their house transformed and what do they say, you know? Oh, my word. They don't exactly say that, but they, they always are stunned and shocked. They're, they're delighted. They're, they're overwhelmed with what is offered and, uh, and what has changed. And so there's this speechless moment. You know what it's like when someone has that overwhelming, speechless moment. There are times that we long to see something. We long to see someone. And, uh, and sometimes that, that thing comes or that person comes. It's, it's a bit it's underwhelming, right? But there are times when it is so special and sweet that it is overwhelming. Jesus is, has come and Jesus is going to come again. That's really what we've been focused on for this theme over the last several weeks that we've sung every single uh, Lord's Day, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, that we would anticipate and long for his appearing and, uh, and have that anticipation and, and when he comes, at least when he came the first time, there were people indeed as a babe who, uh, who mis, mis, mistook him, that completely overlooked. It was subtle perhaps to them. It wasn't obviously to the shepherds in the field. It was the opposite of subtle. And uh, they come and they worship Jesus. But most people, it would have been, it may have been missed. But I will say this, when Jesus comes again and the fullness of glory is revealed, it will not be. It will not be one of those moments where people are confused. It will not be subtle. It will be powerful and overwhelming for some in a good way and for others in a not so good way. John, here in Revelation, is receiving just that. He's receiving something that God had revealed to him, a vision that he has, a supernatural vision that uh, the exalted Christ wants him to convey to many of the early churches. So if you would, please, I know you just sat down, but this is one of those visions. I'm going to prepare you. Go ahead, stand. As we read this, it's a bit peculiar. It's, uh, it's, it's unique. It's not the only one that is unique or peculiar in Revelation. Quite, there, there are quite a few. Uh, but we're just going to look at these uh, few verses here, beginning in uh, verse 9. Hear this. This is the word of God. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. And on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, 
Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Verse 12, when I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a gold sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. Let's ask for God's help. Lord, you told us, that all scripture is God-breathed and it is useful. And so we pray whatever use you have, that you would please have your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives, in in our thinking. As we briefly reflect on this, Lord, guide us, we pray, for your praise, your glory, your good, for our joy. Amen. Here it is. Jesus shows up. Imagine that. Imagine just for a moment, not, not the... Not the second coming and all of its for you know the full glory, but just just for a moment, a breakthrough moment that Jesus decides to enter into space and time, and he shows up on the South Shore of Boston, and he comes in the door today, and and Jesus says, "Heard y'all are having a." He wouldn't say y'all, uh, but <laughs> heard you're having a birthday party for me today, and so I thought I'd come join you. Jesus walks in the door. What do you think happens? Well, in case you were thinking that upon seeing Jesus, you'd be all hugs and high fives and everybody giggling and everybody dancing. I think we got a vision of what it would actually truly be like if Jesus were to come, the the exalted, resurrected king that he is. If Jesus were to come into the room this very moment, all of us to a person would be completely, unmistakably, inexplicable on our face, laying down just like John was. That's a pretty profound thought. Every one of you. No, 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 you would not have been. Oh, I'm on. Excuse me, I'm going to hit the restroom real quick. Um, I've got a question. No, no, you just would say not. We would we would have nothing to say. We would be overwhelmed. We would be astonished. We would be in awe. We would be overwhelmed with a, a sense of of concern until he were to reach down his hand and touch us as he did John here and say, it's okay, fear not. Well, let's quickly just rewind over this. There's, there's three headings that I've got listed there for us to consider this passage briefly. What's the occasion? Who is this figure that John sees and encounters. And then what do you do 
right? The response. Where, do you, where does a person go from here having seen this type of Jesus, this manifestation, this occasion? The occasion for John, we know John is a follower of Christ. We know that he, would, he was already ready to worship on the Lord's Day, it says here. It was the first day of the week. Christians down since the book of Acts have gathered on Resurrection Day, Sunday, the first day of the week. To, to gather, to worship, to reflect, to study God's word, to, to break bread, to have the sacrament together. And he says, John is recording this for the benefit. He's receiving this vision, but he's also recording it. We know it's not only uh, for the seven churches. It is for them. They're the kind of the preliminary, the immediate audience. But there's a broader audience. And there's a promise that accompanies this vision, which he records for us. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but out of all the books in the Bible, there are 66. Here's the last one, Revelation. You knew that was the last book, but did you know it's the only book of the Bible that at the very outset says there's a promise, a blessing to those who read it? Of course, you get about halfway through Revelation, like, man, this is a confusing blessing. Uh, but it's a blessing, and, and maybe, maybe we should take it up. That's, that's, uh, that's probably, and that may not happen, I don't know. But it, it, verse, verse 3, go back and look. It says, blessed is the one who reads this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it. So th- this should be good for us. It, it, it's, it is written, you notice the seven well, there's a lot of sevens and there's a lot more to come in the book of Revelation. There's seven lampstands, there's seven stars, seven churches, even in these opening verses. The, the number seven we know to represent something, to signify a perfection or, or a completeness to these things. John's being charged to write these churches. The seven churches, by the way, are in Asia Minor or in modern day uh, Turkey. Along with them, uh, John himself is facing persecution. He's out in the middle of the sea, and he's in the middle of the Aegean Sea, and, uh, and he's on this little island that is like, you know, less than 20 square miles. This is like smaller than Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard. It's the island of Patmos, and uh, it's a, it's a, it, it can be a stopping point. Uh, it is in between Ephesus and Asia Minor and Rome, and that's where he is. And many scholars believe that John was there because he was uh, imprisoned. That he, you know, that he made, it, made a home for himself in a cave on this rocky island. There's no way for him to escape and he was going to be there. Why was he in prison? Because he was preaching the gospel. He was a follower of Jesus. He was, worship, he was part of what we refer to as religious persecution. He is part of a group of many Christians spread throughout this region who have, have resistance from the Roman government and others who don't understand them. That's no surprise though. Jesus said... Boy, it's so confusing, you know. We get such confused notions about Jesus that he was meant to make us happy and cheerful and peaceful and wonderful and all of our dreams come true. And, and then he says weird things like John 16, verse 33. I've said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. We'd all like peace, but he's saying, anticipate tribulation. And that's what he's saying. He's saying in verse 9 in our text, he's saying, all of them, like him, are sharing in this tribulation, trying to endure that with patience. He's going to give a message to John. The purpose of Revelation is to comfort them and us as we do face trials and tribulations waiting for Christ 
final return. Christians there were gathered. Verse 10, it says that what else was part of the occasion? John is, verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. This is referring to some type of, as bizarre as it sounds to our experience, he has an ecstatic, uh, and he, has, he has some experience that is supernatural. That he would, he is actually in a trance of some sort that he's able to see these things as though in a vision. And who does he see? This is my second question. See, I'm moving pretty fast. Are you with me? Um, we're, we're like, who is this guy? Who is this figure? What, who is this that he's encountering uh, there in the next uh, section? Unlike anything we've ever seen, it's an angelic. Uh, initially, you would think it's some type of, of uh, angelic celestial being that John is encountering. But when he begins to speak, it's, it's, not, it's not to be confused. We know that this is the exalted, risen King Jesus. Yes, this is not the Jesus that many would uh, typically imagine. This is God on, on his terms. This is God. This is, this is, not, uh, this is not baby Jesus with with. with, with you know, all the cute, you know, chubby cheek stuff. This is, this is God revealing himself in ways that we hadn't bargained for, maybe. Think of all these characteristics, right? The radiance of his face and his countenance is so bright as though the sun. Some people believe that there is some figurative language here. I, I don't know. But it's pretty awe-inspiring, and it's with power. And in fact, if you look carefully, you see that John mentions that there's a sword that comes out of this exalted Jesus's mouth, verse 16. Well, that, of course, could be representative of the fact that the word of God, as we heard read in Hebrews, our New Testament reading, is sharper than any two-edged sword, that he brings forth truth and judgment with the sword, with his speech, with his own tongue, he can do that. Of course, he has other qualities, like he has here in verse 14, this white hair. Nothing wrong with that. Can I get an Amen. This is a person with gray hair who has, who has honor and, and dignity. This is someone who uh, presumably has wisdom with these, this white hair. And then it says that his eyes are like flames of fire. And, and that could easily be representative of the piercing nature of Jesus' unique ability to just look into a situation and know our very heart, mind, and soul. What about his voice? Verse 15 in the text, it sounds like many water. Like it's like a, a rushing waters. It's like a it's like an awe-inspiring waterfall with its power. And it's, you know, if you stand close to a large waterfall, you you can it's just so overwhelming. It's powerful. It's it's remarkable. As we read in other places in the New Testament. He says to him, verse 17, listen, I mean, that was, this was obviously overwhelming to him to see this bright countenance and this, this figure, these eyes of fire looking at him. Of course he was afraid. Of course he was overwhelmed. And he's reminding him, don't be afraid. Why? Because verse 8, he says that he, excuse me, in, in that verse, verse 17, which echoes verse 8 of our uh, text earlier prior, that he is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the, the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter 
the whole of it. He has existed previous. All of these are echoes, of course, of ways that God the Father in the prophet Isaiah, God himself, the Father, Yahweh says, I am the Lord, the God, the same way. I am the first and the last. That's a unique vision of Jesus, right? Have you read this passage before? This is, uh, this is hard for us to, to just transport our minds and think of what it would have been like to be in John's shoes that day. So what would we do? Well, hopefully, I'm, I already said, I, I'm pretty confident all of us would fall on our face. And it, it might be an entirely involuntary reality. Imagine that. If Jesus came in, that, that, that impulse to fall down because we knew we were in the presence of greatness way, 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 way beyond any celebrity or earthly monarch, we would know we're dealing with the God-man. So where do you go from here? Here's my last heading. John is already in a posture himself of worship. When all this vision went down, and yes, he was overwhelmed because he was seeing otherworldly things. There are are times, by the way, in Scripture that this happens. There's a, there's a variety of times that this happens. Sometimes it happens when an angel appears in, in the record of Scripture. And, and what does it say? Whether it was, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, shepherds or whether it was, uh, you know, one of the disciples or whatever. They, they fall down and then lo and behold, the person who is there, the angel says, wait a second, get up. Some of the apostles do this in the book of Acts. They're like, get up off the ground. Don't worship me. I'm not God. This is blasphemy. Get up, get up, get up. Imagine that moment. John there in verse 17. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Till Jesus said, no. Be not afraid. I hold the keys. Whatever you're afraid of. Whether you're afraid of dying. Who cares? You can't. Because I'm the one. I'm the God-man who controls all of this from the beginning to the end. You needn't be afraid. And then he connects with him in a personal way. He places his hand on John. He enters into his feelings. He knows that he is overwhelmed with emotion and fear. The otherworldly being, this otherworldly being full of glory and power, it was was too much for for John to handle. Imagine that. He doesn't want John to be afraid. He wants John to be his friend. What God is like that? Think of this, right? That that we worship a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that sends Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, into the world, and he wants to relate to us. And even the resurrected, glorified, exalted Christ here is making this personal connection With John, meeting the king is meeting an infinite power who cares about connecting with us, who treats us as friends. That's the God we have in Christ Jesus, an infinite power who's an infinite friend. Seeing Jesus like this, when he is your hope, there is no terror. Obviously, he's reasonably afraid, but he he doesn't have to have terror. So, Just two things as a takeaway in response to this practically for us to consider. 
One would be to know this Jesus. The second is to be encouraged by him. And so really, the first is just a question. Do you know, do you know this Jesus? Do you, do, you, do you intimately, personally, do you know a Jesus who when you see him face to face is essentially too much for you to handle? Or, or do you have a Jesus who is truncated, who is compartmentalized, a Jesus who conveniently steps aside and is put away into the recesses when you want to do your own personal thing and, and just set him on the shelf? Is, is it a problem for you to imagine that you would have too much to handle because you're your view of yourself, your understanding, your opinions, your thoughts are looming so large and his are small. Because Revelation says it's quite the opposite. He is that great and we are small. Do you know him? God is meant for us to have a relationship with him, to connect with him. And that's only made possible because of his resurrection and his cross. That he has provided a way of redemption and freedom and forgiveness that only he can. So do you want to keep this Jesus at a distance? Is it convenient for us to have Jesus, as, as we imagine, as small and in a manger? Or do we envision and worship him for the reality of who he is? Our coming king. Which is the one that you want for your problems? The small? The subtle? The, the, the sentimental Jesus? Or do you want a king? Well, don't be so quick to answer that because sometimes we don't want him to rule our lives if he's not going to obey us. Hey, God, I remember my plan. You're not sticking to it. So no worship for you today. You don't know the real Jesus. Real Jesus. Yes, it's meek and mild, gentle and lowly. But he's a king who's got eyes of fire that sees right into our hearts. So be encouraged by this. Jesus, verse 17 says, he's the beginning and the end of all things, including your life. He's the one who holds you forever. All the details of your life. He's the one who has the keys over the place of death. He's the one who has the authority to pick you from that place. So my encouragement, I guess, is to not let the clouds or the peaks or the valleys of life to obscure our vision of who he is. And all of his power. Because no matter what happens, you and I will see him someday face to face. We will hear his voice and we will feel his kindness as he has his hand rest on us. Someday, would you let the power, does that not encourage you? I hope it does because if there is anxiety about uncertainty in your life, some of you have good reason for that. Some of you have no reason for that. It doesn't matter. Everyone will have a reason someday to cry out to him. Maybe you're not feeling it today. I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to set up the communication line here. I'm just trying to present a vision for where you're going to need to go. Preferably sooner rather than later. In worship of this God. That should encourage us. Because the power gives us courage for our fears. Revelation tells us he is great and nothing can compare to him. The other thing I think that's indicative of the trumpet 
And the commission that John has is he says, go and write this down for the benefit of the churches. And John takes that mission very seriously. I think that we should, that the trumpet sound is something that resounds. And so Jesus didn't say this to say, oh, I want you. Come on. I've got a little word of encouragement for you, Troy. Oh, he is that personal. And I'm glad. But don't be mistaken. The purpose for John is to trumpet this. And it's the reason that the last time the disciples had seen him outside of this vision that John now has is when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, to be my messengers, my ambassadors. Then preach the gospel, to share, make disciples of all nations. So in some measure, John knew what many of us can know and experience, the light and the beauty of Christ, I think, is better when it's shared. It's like many other things, right? That if we, if we go and we share that, it actually doesn't detract, but only multiplies our joy. So maybe that's another takeaway. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this, our great... Hope, this great gift, this future grace. Thank you for being glorious, God, and yet caring in a personal way for us. Lord, we confess that there's ways that we wanted you on our terms, and we come across a vision like this, and we say, well, that's not what I would have seen coming. And we know that we will be persuaded. We will be overwhelmed. We will be filled with joy. Would you change our perspective now? Would you encourage us? Would you come back, please, to reverse the curse and make all things right and all things new in a way that only you can? We know we live in a world that's disturbed. We know there are, there are, there are wars. There are huge fears. There are people that are part of our body, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are persecuted this day, who are fearful about worshiping but they do anyway in different parts of the world. We pray you'd sustain them and give the persecuted church perseverance. Lord, we remember today on this holiday worship weekend, people who are separated from their family, people who are deployed in the military. Lord, we pray for people who are refugees who are separated from their homeland because of war. We pray for those who are away from loved ones because they're incarcerated. We pray for especially our brothers and sisters who are in prison. Have mercy on them, comfort them. Lord, those today who are grieving lost loved ones, I pray you'd fill them with with peace. They would trust you and find that you are true and worthy. Through Jesus, we lift up all of these things. Even now, as he taught his disciples to praise, we pray in his name, the Lord Jesus, our Father, who art in heaven.